Everyone still looks uncomfortable. Perhaps they all remember that old saying, power corrupts. Welcome to Second Officer Slog, episode 46. I'm your host, Em, and with me is my number one, Jackson. Hello. We're here to talk about Star Trek. Yeah, previously That's on Star Trek. That's what we got. We have Star Trek. Uh, we might as well just get into this episode. There's nothing else going on. Nothing else going uh, on. This episode, this episode is the eighth episode of Discovery Season 2. It's called If Memory Serves. The titles are bad this season. I don't remember them ever. Um... This aired on the 7th of March, 2019. It was written by Dan Dworkin and Jay Beatty, uh, directed by TJ Scott. It again takes place in the year 2257. Memory Alpha helpfully tells us this is the second of four episodes in the Telosian arc. <laughs> yeah, it is. It sure uh, is. Jackson, what happens in this episode? Well, in this episode, as ever, we have uh, the two main plots. I will do the main plot of the episode first, and there's a small subplot. Involving Culber and Tyler that we'll get to, but that's much, uh, much smaller. Um, so, uh, it begins with um, Giorgio uh, talking to Leland and a bunch of admirals who are com- obviously commanding Second 31 because they all know about it. Um, uh, going, well, Burnham's gone, we need to go find her. Um, and the de- decision is reached to not tell, um, well, not let uh, the Discovery search. They're going to be like, uh, not led into what has happened exactly, uh, and they are going to be given like a minor thing um, because uh, Burnham might contact Pike and they're going to use the discovery as bait. Uh, so Giorgio basically tells um, Pike this and is like, you got to examine the probe. That's why we think you're most useful. Um, and then Riker comes in and goes, we're out here scanning rocks, uh, basically. Is this, what, this thing of first contact, right? Where, you know, we've completed our first sensor sweep of the neutral zone. They're basically doing what? in first contact when the Borg attack, they uh, they um they are going to sweep oh, yes. the neutral they are zone. Positioned at the neutral zone, yes. <laughs> because Rikers has that line about it. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's one of the it's one of the few moments of first contact I'm affectionate for is Riker being pissy. <laughs> um, okay. Anyway, um, I'm trying to. God, a lot happens in this episode. Uh, Does it? I guess I guess that's really the end of that is that that's that's the kind of situation um Ash talks to Pike and is like uh we should you should you know you shouldn't trust second 31 because suddenly the old character of Ash emerges the third Ash there's new Ash old Ash and Vok um because the old character of Ash who cares about people shows up and is like we have to look out for Burnham's best interest second 31 if they find her first they're gonna hurt her uh and then Pike is obviously like okay why are you working for them <laughs> I believe in what they're doing. I think they're all good, hardworking people who want what's best for Federation. They have to have just forgotten that he's only here because he had to leave Kronos and he's still reporting to Laurel, right? Like, no one... They play this so straight and it's weird. Yeah, like, I don't think they're ever going to drop the other shoe on that now because I think that they've just forgotten that that was the original writer's plan or no one ever just... I don't know. But, like, I refuse to believe that wasn't the original plan because... It doesn't make sense that he would just join Second Thirty One. Also, Lorel's right there. Who's he's got a kid? Uh, yeah. All of this stuff is 
I mean, he'll never see the kid again. The kid's on Borat. So. Sure, but like, there are a lot of legitimate emotional entanglements he has in, in like the diplomatic state of the galaxy that are just not really being used ever. Is he's just being played as having war trauma, which is kind of the least interesting part of Ash's character. Yes, um, but you know, we've got some frustrations with the you know the current writing of season two. Hopefully, season three will shake things out when it hopefully has a single team for the entire series. Who knows? <laughs> Who can say? Who can say? We have not all crossed that bridge when we come to it. Um, meanwhile, on the shuttle, um, the warp-capable shuttle, uh, st- they have gone to Talos Four. Um, Burnham sets down, starts looking around uh, the big quarry, which is the same as the quarry from the, old, the, uh, the Mirror Universe base in the last season. Uh, and starts looking around for what's going on on Talos Four, uh, And she spots, as she's surveying, someone walking... Um, into the um the shuttle and who could it be but vina you know vina i do indeed vina from the cage she's here uh there was also a big previously on that we didn't mention that is like just the summer a summary of the cage uh like it just uses a full of clips from the cage if you've not watched the cage because so so i knew that they were going to use footage from the cage i read that before i watched the episode the thing that no one told me dissolves is that it's done in extremely obnoxious like pop-up like video like over edited visual effects style i think it really detracts from it i wish they had just cut it straight like they would every other discovery opening uh like it's it's cut like a wrestling promo that's trying to ignore that it's working with old footage no, I, man, they don't really do the, that much work in the effects. They okay. actually play it way straighter than this, where everything looks kind of like pop art in the same way that, like, it's just got a VH1 vibe to it that I really dislike. Mm-hmm. I, it reminds me so much of, like, how kitschy the, like, TOS merchandise in the modern era is. Yeah. Um, And I'm, I, I, I didn't need it. Just play it straight. It's great to see that stuff. I really think it's a smart idea. I just didn't like the way it was put together, and I would not have done it that way. However, it does have the amazing end dissolve of Pike to Pike, which I greatly approve. Yeah, hard cut into Pike. Yeah. Um, new Pike, so much better. <laughs> Uh well look it's hard to it's hard to compete with I did a pilot in sixty six right I guess that's true. Um anyway, so uh, Spock and Burnham go into the Talosians single set downstairs. Uh, they beam in. Um, Vina convinces them to come, and is like, I you know I'm Vina I'm human but I'm staying here. Uh, this is the only thing you got to do this. Uh and. The Talosians explain uh, to Burnham, as she asks, that Spock has, through contact with the Red Angel, is experiencing like time in a non-linear fashion, and only they, through means and replaying the memory in their mind VCR, can uh, untangle uh, Spock's mind, because time was always his true logical constant, which I don't think is true, but whatever you say... Is that a thing that I think the idea is that I think the idea is this kind of something that they express a little bit in um in God uh, Voyage Home uh when Spock's like rebuilding okay. or, like being tested on his logic is that Vulcans all have like an individual framework on which they build their like particular logic out of. Mm-hmm. I I don't think it's like totally radically inconsistent with the way Vulcans have been portrayed before. I think it's weird that Spock's time considering uh well, I guess maybe it will not have happened yet, but Spock has a lot of times where he interacts with time in weird, un- like, Holy difficult shnora. ways. Yeah, no. Hi, Christopher, I'm Nero. Um, yeah. Like, Spock's got some time bullshit to go. 
Um, also, this means that like uh, Benjamin Cisco running away from his job because his wife died, bumming around the Federation as a ship designer, is way more equipped to deal with the universe than Spock. <laughs> yes, Spock would have melted seeing the wormhole aliens. I mean, this whole thing is like, oh, they don't experience linear time. Let's just talk to them about baseball, and they'll understand what humans are. <laughs> and Spock's like, I am a muttering mess now. <laughs> yep. Um. So they replay what happened um, with Spock. Uh, Burnham watches that memory, but they're like, "We need to have a price. We need to uh, because we we like we like to watch memories, and that's how we you know it's sport for us. We need to take your most painful memory. We need to take the plot memory. We need to see what happened with you and Spock as a child." Uh, and I think like, your most painful memory is when she started the war and got George you killed. Honestly, but <laughs> we already saw we that. Already saw that. God, that would have been so funny. <laughs> Yep. If after all this build up, that was the thing. Um, yep. But no, they um. Uh, so what happened with Spock is that the Red Angel appeared um, as a child uh, and pointed out where uh, Burnham was in the forest because she's being chased by an arbitrary monster that doesn't matter. Um, and he gets this vision of her dying uh, and wakes up, tells uh, you know, tells Sarek, Burnham's here, she's going to be attacked. And they send out a thing to rescue her. It turns out that was true. That was a premonition. Um, then the Red Angel appears again as an adult now and um, gives another premonition, which is that the Reapers are going to come and mass affect everyone. Uh, and he has to stop that. <laughs> and that's all we get. That's the only plot thing we get is... All life is at th- as threatened by this weird nebulous technology threat that is represented by the uh, squid uh, probe from last week. Um, uh, d- destroying specifically the four founding planets of the Federation. Yes, I mean, that's the thing we get, but it's played as an even bigger threat than that. Um, yes, but it's extremely like fake Zindi again when it's just the four planets of the Federation. What if it's the Zindi? <laughs> It's not the Zindi, but what if it was the Zindi? <laughs> right, we'll talk about Temporal Cold War 2, the lesser Temporal Cold War, in a moment. Oh. <laughs> um, so, that's the that's the big plot. That's the thing that's revealed. I'm not going to go into more specifics than that, because, you know, it's kind of boring. Um, the other thing we see is that he obviously didn't murder anyone. He just uh, Vulcan nerve pinched them and left. <laughs> yes. Because he was like, oh, this is a real... Why did I check myself into a place where I could be kept confined and not do anything about it? That was a really bad idea. Uh, so he immediately leaves. Um, and he's like, if you look in my memories, you can find that I've been framed for murder. Uh, which I was laughing because I was just thinking about the fucking pensive stuff that Shriekcast keep going on about. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's a good thing there's just a helpful record of everyone's memories that the Talosians can pull out. Um... And that's uh, that's the the plot on uh, on Talos Four. Um, they send a communication to Captain Pike uh, via Talosian projection, which they can only do briefly. Um, Vina shows up in Pike's quarters and is like, "Hey, it's me." And they have a nice tender moment. I actually like the Vina, I like the Vina stuff quite a bit, even though they can't do anything because he's going to go back in five years anyway. Uh, but the. Um, through this connection which is like you know television projection can't be tracked by starfleet so they're like hey we're in talos 4 you gotta come get us uh, and you gotta not let second 31 know because they're gonna follow you immediately um so uh pike is like okay cool we'll do that 
uh, immediately sends Ash away because uh, one of the running subplots has been that there's been like tampering with technology and stuff in the ship and like communications being left out and no one knows why. We all know it's Arium's uh, eye thing, which they don't actually engage with that other than to have some close-up shots of her with her eye thing happening again. Um, oh, don't worry, we got more episodes ahead. <laughs> yeah, I know, but that's that's just a knowing ongoing concern. Uh, but uh, Pike is like, Ash, you're the sex study one person. You go in your quarters. We don't want to be tracked. And Ash is like, that's a terrible idea. Obviously, I'm, it's not me. Obviously, have you never read a book before, Captain Pike? Uh, so they head to Telosphor. Um, and the sex study one starts following them. Um, while this is happening, before they get there, uh, the stuff with Burnham and Spock happens as the memory is revealed. Uh, and it's the most nothing thing. And she's like, Spock, you're a freak. You're a weird freak. Your emotions are bad. Um, you have got to... Um, uh, you, you, no one wants you. You're just a weird freak and I'm going to leave now. And that's why she's running away to keep them safe from the like Vulcan logic extremists. Uh, which she is- specifically calls them a half-breed, which is the thing Kirk calls them every time that they're doing a fake fighting for the alien of the week. Yep. Uh, because Spock is confident enough to not take it personally when someone says half-breed like that, because that's a ridiculous thing to call someone who is half-human, half... Uh, yeah, it's cartoonishly <laughs> fake space racist, right? Like, Yes. Um, uh, it, we'll talk about the scene in a moment, I guess. But it's a... This stuff's weird. Um, anyway, that all happens. Um, then they show up, but obviously Section 30 shows up, Section 31 shows up with them and is like, you've got to come with us. Uh, they both lock transporters on and start beaming them in, and so their like pattern is caught. Um, and if if uh, if Discovery doesn't disengage their transporter, then they'll just be uh, shattered to ashes, and they'll just be like scattered as atoms. Um, so uh, Pike stands down, and they beam onto the Section Thirty One ship, and then obviously the Section Thirty One ship just immediately warps away. <laughs> Because yes. they're fools, apparently, as they reveal, they like fade away and reveal they were a Telosian projection all along. Um, and a shuttle uh, lands in the Discovery, and it's it's uh, it's Burnham and Spock, and they're here to be on the show now. Um, and then doing a big like uh, to hell with our orders, <laughs> uh, Detma. Uh, is like we're gonna be on the run from Section Twenty One, and that's gonna like put all the, the crew in danger. And then Detmer's like, "We're with you, Captain," and they run away. And that's the end of the episode. Um, yeah. The other plot that happens throughout this is uh, with <laughs> is that Hugh Culber is back alive and he's very angry about it. And Stamets is just a moron with how he talks to his husband, apparently, because no one on this show knows how a relationship works. Um, and they are like Stamets is saying, "Oh, everything we're gonna go back to how things were." And Cobb was like, oh, "I was dead!" Like screaming this, I would feel he should be more like his anguish should be more like in in interiorized. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, but he's just yelling at everyone and screaming at everyone. He hits multiple trays of food away. Uh, uh, maybe the actual most believable thing in the world is that Paul Stamets doesn't know how to do anything but smother somebody with attention. Yep. Um. So he's he's mad at uh he's mad at Stamets. He walks out and then he goes into the uh, uh the uh mess room um and walks up to Ash, hits his food away uh and has a big fight with him. Uh and then Saru is like, "No, no, we must let this play out. This is a valuable catharsis for most both men." 
has a big fight with him. Ash Tyler literally just lets him beat him up. Yep. Because Ash Tyler is a fucking Klingon. This is not a fight. Because Ash Tyler would totally end him if they actually fought. On Kronos, we wouldn't bandage the wound. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And then he kind of just, the fight ends. uh, And there's like a a small moment of bonding between the two. Carl was like, I don't even know how many more. And Ash is like, yeah, no, tell me about it. Uh, Then that's kind of, is there, there there's no resolution scene. I think there might be one more. Now they're dating. With the, yeah no, there's one more with Stamets and Culver. He's like, I'm we're, we're probably done. I can't like, go back to my old life. I need to find out a new version of who I am. And Stamets is like, oh, oh, making his face. Uh, yes. Yeah, so there's also the bit where Sorrow gets scolded by Pike. Sorrow gets scolded by Pike for saying that that was um something he wouldn't have done with his older um with his with his old evolution, which I think is wrong. I think he totally would have No, done I the way that Sarah's acting, because Sarah literally is like, well, there's no rules about how you deal with people like this, and I figured it would just be best to let them fight it out. And then the, that's how this these things work. Conflict resolution. And he's like, look, even if that did work, it's not the way we do things on a Starfleet ship. Come on, Sorrow, you know this. You're better than this. I feel like Sorrow is very much like leaning into uh, his being oh, macho yeah. now in a way that Pike definitely should gently, gently curb the way he did. I agree, but I also think that this was not like putting that here is weird because I do think that this like um, this plotline they do need to talk. I don't know. Uh, Sarah made the yeah, right call here. The ways in which that, like, literally, a fight happens in the cafeteria while the second in command of the ship is right there and does nothing—absolutely <laughs> outrageous. Uh, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Um, and it's not played for comedy. It's not like this is like happening when like Kira lets like Bashir and O'Brien beat each other up for some stupid reason. I mean, so I mean, that's the whole plot. I think I don't think we've got any more summaries. We're going to talk about the episode now. No. Um, so uh, when I first saw the first scene of this plot which is them walking in the corridor and then um Culver sees ash tile like get into a lift and they have a small moment uh and uh Stavis is like oh we can we can get him transferred off deck you don't have to see him every day that's cruel to you my thought obviously immediately i like my brain already jumped to the end of this plot it was like oh he's way more pissed at you than he is at him obviously ash uh obviously uh Stamets. um because he was just a klingon like a weird experiment guy you're being like insensitive to his feelings um and i think that the plot gets to that place but they all have to have a big fight about it first mm, i don't know i feel like uh everyone here is there is a failure of for every single person in this trio oh, absolutely. plot i was expecting him to go up to ash tyler and be like ask him questions and not just immediately punch him in the face he has a lot of aggression. He's all new, you know. Uh, I think he is cartoonishly aggressive in a way that makes the trauma seem unreal. Um, that's fair. He was not aggressive in the last... It's not like this is a thing that... We don't know this about Cole, but that he worked through things this way. If there was, like, precedent yes. for this, that would be fine. But he's not. He was just the sweet doctor guy. Didn't really have anything going yes. on. Also, also, I think that you... You can't, in the, like, 50th year, 60th year of Star Trek existing, have the people that are going to react with real trauma to Star Trek plots. It doesn't work. Right, because, you know, everyone else has been dead before. O'Brien was in prison for 25 years. <laughs> Nobody remembers it. Yeah, no, loads of other people have come back from the dead. Yeah. Well, I mean, not yet, but they will. They will, yeah. Uh, some, is there, no one died in Enterprise. I don't think they did that plot on Enterprise. 
Um, no, I don't think so. I'm not in not in like a mean timeline. There's like the weird stuff in like uh, E2 and whatever. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they've seen versions of themselves. That, that clone of Trip fucking died. Yeah, that's true. That did happen. That did happen. Um, yeah. So you know, Star Trek plots. It's weird to see him be so shook up by what basically is like a speed bump for most other characters in Star Trek. It's weird because I think that these characters are not defined enough for this plot, right? I mean, there's yes. um a real issue with characterization this season. Uh, yes. When when the season began, we had that fantastic scene with Tilly and and Stamets and that fantastic scene with uh, Sarek and Burnham. And there was this real delicate like sadness to the way these characters were interacting in the world. That's just gone. Mm-hmm. That's just completely absent and has been basically since uh, the first couple episodes. Um, yep. And everyone just yells their point of view at everyone else. Uh but not in like a deep, interesting way. No, it's the most shallow version of itself, and it's that's been the most frustrating thing about this season is Burnham's character. Burnham is one of the most interesting characters in Star Trek. There is so much going on with Burnham. I know it's not this plot's not about her, but she falls into it as well. Uh, I feel like all of that, those like contradictory and really interesting and human parts of her are being sanded away as this plot just picks up and everyone's forgotten what show they're writing because it's on fire for the second season in a row. Hmm. Uh, and it's frustrating because there's so much I like here. Um, and I think that when they try to do, like, when they try in this episode to do a plot that is pure character, that is pure just someone working through their problems, even if they're, I died once, um, and it comes off as so exaggerated and unreal, I think that's a shame because Star Trek can do that very well. Yeah. I mean,. The realization here, watching this, is that like I don't think the season is great. <laughs> yep. It it doesn't have like season one's a mess, but it has like a real energy of purpose that I don't feel in this. Uh, like I feel like the season started out with that, but obviously they replaced the writers, and I just don't think they've picked up with anything representing like theme. Like stuff's happening; it's a big plot. Uh, but there's nothing to hold on to, like, past this, who's the mysterious person in the cyber suit. And that's not interesting to me. The first two episodes were explicitly about ideas of faith and recontextualizing what it meant to have faith in a world of Star Trek. Uh, yes. And about, like... Which is basically all I've ever wanted. That's why I like the Bajoran stuff so much. Yeah. And it goes in, like, leans really hard into this idea that, um, you know, Burnham's, like, values are no more correct than anyone else's values just because she's a vulcan like not vulcan grew up on vulcan and embraced these uh really petty logical ideas doesn't mean she can lord it over everyone else um and the central mystery of the series seemed to be driving into themes that were like about that and about facing that and about engaging with different possibilities of the universe um it's a guy in a suit (laughs) it's a guy in a suit the whole thing's it's a guy in a suit so um that's just gone that's just absent from the series entirely um everything has been nano machines explained away um and there's still most of the season like uh, half the season to go uh, and i don't know what they're going to do for the rest of it because yeah i agree i i really liked the start of it and i think that the um energy that i was really into has just disappeared and there's not they haven't really replaced it with another identity yes um I'm hoping they figure it out next season, but I feel like the season's kind of just a wash. There's going to be a plot that ends, and then we'll move on. And the plot is fun. I think it's dumb in a way that I am enjoying Star Trek plots, right? Like, Temporal Cold War 2. 
I don't think it's it's not it's not that though. It's like one person like incursioning through time, trying to like stop the Reapers. It's not it's not the Shadow Man. It's not like the Enterprise J in the twenty sixth century, right? It's not as good, but the concept is the same. Someone's like going to destroy everything, and someone else is going. No, to- because the thing the thing with the Temporal Cold War stuff is that the influence of events was like a shadow conspiracy that has been ongoing and will continue to go on. Um, and this is just a single agent, like, warping around doing miraculous things. And that's, like, they just put a superhero in Star Trek. Fuck off. But do they have any, like, uh, the assumption at the start of the series, right, was that these things would connect in some way. There'll be a reason it was there at New Eden, and a reason it was there at Kaminar, and a reason these things are the things that it's doing. Like, how do they connect to whatever the big reveal of the big galactic threat is? Those things aren't connected, and maybe they'll come up with one later down the line, but there's no... I, I don't believe they will. I think this is totally dropped in favor of the Red Angel came to Spock to get him to help readjust the timeline and they're going to ignore all the rest of that shit. But the, the Red Angel was like selectively helping certain people. And that yes. was the question. That was the question. It was why does he appear? Uh, why does it appear? And why does it appear at certain points and not others? These were the things that the series was like actually engaging with. And now it is. Um, <laughs> look at this shot. The Reapers are going to come and destroy the Federation. Yeah, uh, which I, you know, I do enjoy that. I think it's dumb, um, but I think it's a waste of potential. This isn't actually Enterprise. This was a good show, honestly. You know, yeah, it's not. It's not stupid enough to be fun in the way Enterprise is fun, uh, and it's not good enough to be good Star Trek. So it's just in this weird space where like. I don't hate any individual episode, but when I think about it, my brain just slides off because there's nothing here. What, like, I just end up thinking about other Star Trek. What did you, yeah, I guess that's true. I guess the reason I think this, the, the fun I'm having is just thinking about the Temporal Cold War. It is reminding yes. me of the Temporal Cold When the biggest strength of your season is remembering how much fun you had with the Temporal Cold War. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe reconsider what you're doing. Um, the other question I, I had is, what did you think of the... <laughs> Burnham Spock, uh, the secret to their childhood trauma. Oh, it's really bad. Part of that is because they have half, they half have the kids do it, uh, which is fine for like little baby Spock, but the actress they get for kid Burnham cannot emote the amount needed. Uh, I liked when they just put, uh, sneaker Martin green in there. I think she sells it really well. Um, what I actually found myself really liking and I didn't expect to was actual adult Burnham and Spock interacting. I think it's fantastic. Yep. I'd watch these two snipe at each other forever. Uh, there's a bit where she's like, um, well, you came to get me. You clearly like wanted me, like my health specifically. You went through all of this to make me come to you. And he was like, actually, logically, I was just looking for help for anything. And, and do you have any do you have any questions to add? And she's like, Yeah, what do you really think that beard is any good? And he like touches the beard. <laughs> uh, so that that kind of bickering's really good. Um I thought the um, reveal of what happened was very dumb. Uh, uh, I a like is too strong, but I did uh, appreciate the way it was kind of framed in the modern day stuff, which was they both of them knew what it was. They both, none of them were like, oh, you really hate me. Um, yeah. Uh, they both understood exactly what was being communicated there and the only problem was that Spock was just too on his bullshit about it, which I guess is every Vulcan <laughs> um, on some level. Uh, yes refusing to get off your bullshit despite understanding exactly what is going on 
I also like that this is like, this feels like a Vulcan in their 20s. <laughs> like, Spock feels young. Yes. Uh, and that's nice because um, it's just, it's it's very different than like TOS Spock and it, it it's good that it's different, and but it doesn't feel incongruous. Mm-hmm. Um, though it does mean that Spock was basically lying to everyone in original Star Trek about his ability to like emote and understand stuff. <laughs> yes. Just like, I'm going to fucking con these humans for five years. <laughs> As you know, I do not have emotions. Cack. Yeah. Is that a smile, Spock? Yeah, it is. What of it? <laughs> yeah, he does. He just smiles and he goes, "Yes, sir, I believe it was." Um, um he. Uh, that's the thing. He actually really never liked Kirk. He only liked, like, <laughs> <laughs> especially because the cage has old Spock before they like decided what a Vulcan was. Yes, uh, you have been and always shall be my second best friend <laughs> after Christopher. <laughs> <Mike>. <laughs> It was very sad when he um, had to go back to the menagerie. But I had, I was going to disobey you to make you know help my best friend, obviously. You're not my best friend. He is. You know, uh, I also like that the computer still does not helpfully tell people that you get sentenced to death if you go to Talos 4. Maybe that's not here yet. Maybe Section 31's like, well, we need to make sure no one ever really goes to Talos 4. Make it illegal to do so. <laughs> make it illegal make to do so. Make everyone die if they go. Yeah. God, they do, they do put the death sentence on going to Tales for the only one. It's like General Order 7, I think I looked that up. Yeah. Which means there are only five General Orders. Uh, so things that are good or worth noting in this episode that don't matter. Okay. The Section 31 ship coming up on the Discovery in Warp is just the scene from Into Darkness. It's just the scene it's, from Into it Darkness. Is just, yes, no, you're right about that. It's just the scene from Into Darkness. But, like... It's a good scene when it's not the Vengeance, the ship that's like the Enterprise, but six times bigger than the already too large Enterprise. I'm like, oh, it's like in the darkness, but good now. Yep. Um, what I got? Tilly uh, going sideways around the screen and being like, come into my office. The best thing that's ever happened. That's, Star that's Trek. really good. Tilly's so <laughs> good. Uh, they should do something with Tilly again. Yeah, they should. Every time Tilly's there, I'm like, oh, yeah, Tilly. And every time she's not there, I'm like, where's Tilly? Please put Tilly on the screen. They should They should figure out things to do with these characters. Yep. Uh, what else I got? So I really like the Christopher Pike. I think the stuff with Vina in here and uh, Pike really makes the menagerie make sense past, like, a bad disability thing. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, he has always wanted to go back to Talos 4, even when he was able-bodied, and he just couldn't divorce himself from the duty of being a captain, which is all the fate of all captains. Uh and could finally let himself when he, there was no more duty left to do. Uh, I think is much better than, all oh, my body's broken, so I'm going to go be with my uh, fake body-broken girlfriend. Uh, yep. Which is <laughs> bad. It's bad. It's bad. It's not good. And I get yes. they wrote it in a weekend because they needed some like way to reduce the budget and use the footage they already had. Yes. In the 60s. In the 60s. <laughs> but... Yes, this is better about that. Like making yes, Vina by making important. it much more of a. He always wanted to stay there and couldn't, and some part of him will always be there, and he wait. He can't wait to get back there. And now there's a way out for him where he doesn't have to be a captain anymore. So he goes back there and lives the rest of his life happily. Is very good. Yep. It it greatly improves my opinion of the menagerie by <laughs> retconning his reason. It is a good retcon. It's a good making making Pike into an actual character was a good choice. Yes. 
uh, honestly, maybe the standout of this season. Uh, yeah, absolutely the standout of the season because he's still he's well, still good. I don't know. There's there's the entire section thirty one plot, which is also maybe the standout. Uh, it might be the actual standout of this season. <laughs> so for as much as a lot of the themes of the season have kind of collapsed in on themselves, the section thirty one stuff remains like not just good, but like consistently good in the same way. I think it's working on the same themes it was when it started. Um, but also, if you want to make the, like, bad Star Trek I enjoy, what's happening on the Section 31 ship is that every week. <laughs> every week. Uh, uh, where Leland is literally <laughs> talking to an admiral from each of the founding members of the Federation. This might as well just be the fucking Lolly Lule Lo of Star Trek that he's talking yes. to. Uh, and they are directing him to listen to Control, which is an AI, which is from the books that we haven't gotten to yet, but it is part of the books. Uh, and he just constantly gets undercut by fucking Revolver Ocelot as <laughs> Philip Ajarju from the Mirror Universe, who... It, only can interface in this universe by, ah, oh, in my universe, this planet, we totally genocide it <laughs> by every planet they go to. Yeah, and she's like, didn't you know the solutions would do that? She's like, yeah, obviously I knew, but you know, you got owned, so it was worth it for me. Yes, when you own an evil space empire, everything looks like a nail. <laughs> it's it's very good. I I really like um, everything they're doing with Mary Giorgio, everything, the way she plays into this. Yes. Like, like, even... it, is, it, is, it, is, it is very much in the like camp realm, but it's good. Uh, Michelle Yeoh is so good at selling her as just the pettiest person in the galaxy. <laughs> it's camp, but it's also really like thoughtful in how it's constructing a lot of these things, because she mentions that like she has similar AIs, but she's not listening to them, right? She's like, hey, do this for me, big, big machine. Um, yes. And I like the very clear difference that this show has put forth about what Second 31 is um, to the actual alternative fascist universe, which is Section 31 is operating on autopilot, right? Like, it is this fascist machine, yes. but none of the people in it have anything resembling, like, will. Um, Section 31 believes algorithms are neutral, and yes. Philip Georgie from the universe said, no, I'm going to put my racism in the algorithm. <laughs> um, not to bring the Gundam into it, uh, but I can't help but think about that in the context of this. Like, you know, like, we have uh, the actual Federation here uh, being like, Sector 31 is fine, and we'll just, like, let them make the tough choices. And then, obviously, the second anyone from an actual fascist organization... I'm not saying Sector 31 isn't fascist. Someone from a fucking monarchy... Effective and ideological yeah. sound fascist organization. Lenny Toto walks in and goes, I will rule these people. Yes. Uh, Jojo's like, no, I know how to do this. You're all children playing with toys that could kill you. This is hilarious. Uh, yep. And it's just toying with everyone. Leland uh, is... Uh, I first expected over the last few weeks that Leland would be gone by the end of the season, but there's a world where Leland is just permanently her toy. <laughs> that I don't know. Uh, yes, there's the, there's the world in which the Section 31 show has Leland and Georgiou locked in this sniping <laughs> spiral for all of eternity, and it's my favorite thing that's ever happened. And Leland knows he can never win, but also can never lose enough to be free. <laughs> yes. There's something very, like... I think this is like the most 60s Star Trek yes. version of In Discovery. It's really good. Uh, of just the two fascists locked in eternal conflict. And they can't, like, not, no one's going to win. Like, we know the pecking order here. We know what the, the way this structure is set up. But it works too perfectly for both of their needs that they're never going to, like, change the system. Yeah. Uh, God, yeah. No, it's good. Yeah, that's good. I hope the Second 31 stuff continues to be good. 
Uh, yeah. I know next... I mean, it's been... Even with the writer's change, it's the one thing that's been consistent and fine, so... It's been consistent, it's been good, it's been interesting in ways that don't just make me go, God, remember the temporal Cold War? Yeah. Remember the temporal Cold War? Remember, the the, the, the Reapers are coming, they're gonna genocide the Federation. Also, everyone else, I guess, because Burnham sees the four key plans of the Federation get destroyed, and is like, they're going to wipe out all life in the galaxy. And I was like, Burnham, it's not all life in the galaxy. And, like... It's now, so um, it's not even the TNG Federation, right? Like that's a much smaller Federation, yeah, than it was than it, than it is at other. Like that doesn't mean the same thing as it means the DS Nine. Yep. Also, it's in like seven hundred years or five hundred years or whatever. Five hundred years, right? <sighs> they need a they need a five hundred year plan. I ha- God, <laughs> I hope the answer to this isn't like show ruiningly bad i hope they can just wrap it up and move on next season they have to they have to make section 31 secret because section 31 is going to spend the next 500 years defeating the squid yeah so here's the actual question is what's the relationship between section 31 and the future stuff it's clearly connected in some way they just i think they just want future info i think it's just like no it's greedy it's more connected than that because um Arium got the info and then started leaking information to Section 31. Those two things are directly connected. Unless there's some other... So she's, she's leaking info. They do not say it's going to Section 31. They don't know. The Section 31 ship starts following them. I don't know if those two things are necessarily connected. Okay, maybe they're not connected, but my assumption was someone... He looked our tower away, and that didn't stop Section 31 following them. So my yes, guess... The show, the show makes a leap that I'm not sure I'm willing to commit to where Arya is sending the message to Section 31. I don't think it's, like, established that enough where... Because she's, like, obviously she's the one who set up Ash Tyler. She's the one who's sending signals out somewhere. But then Section 31 starts following them, and they put, like, A and C together, but there's no B. And there's no B. And it could totally be that they just forget that this plot was framed this way, and her explanation is something yes. completely different. Because uh, Discovery plays fast and loose with this stuff, even when it was good in season one about it. Yes. Um, and yeah, so I don't know. Like it could go the other way, but as the information exists now, that is what is true, right? Like with what we have to go on, there is a link between, like the B doesn't exist, but there's nothing else. That is the likeliest explanation from what they've given us so far. And I don't know if I like that. I, I think yeah, I, I guess we just have to wait and see what happens because yeah. there's not enough information here for me. Yeah, I just like if Second Thirty One are like actively in cahoots with the future thing, that's less interesting to me as them just being opportunists getting uh mo- in the process of being murked by letting um an emperor into their midst. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I should see what the rest of these episodes are going to be like for our podcast because I feel like we've had a lot of the same conversations. The same themes keep coming up again. There's not that much interesting. It's just, here's your new bit of information being passed out about the season plots. Yeah, and it doesn't have the breathless, like, predictive qualities of season one of Discovery. But even, like, at this era of season one, they were going into the Mirror Universe and that was like, oh, look at how they live here. Look at, like, it was very specific about the cowardice of the um, people in the Mirror Universe. Uh, yes and it had a bunch of like it there was stuff going on and we could dig into in a way that this is people standing in a quarry and waiting for the law dump yep um i'm hoping next week is better i watched a bit of the preview it seemed very stupid i don't know why cornwell's on the bridge uh did you watch all the preview no <laughs> <laughs> okay the reason sounds pretty cool but we'll see what happens because she was because com- basically this episode ends uh, and they're like, well, we're on the run to Section 31. Now we're going to be a fugitive ship. Um, which 
it just seems like it would go really badly for discovery uh but then the preview begins and cornwell's on the um on the discovery and there's a bunch of mines everywhere and the second they're going to the section they want a base so we'll see how yes. that goes i assume it's discovery versus section 31 next week yeah my assumption is that they somehow convince her that they that section 31 needs to at least someone needs to go up and knock on the door and make sure that they're not being controlled by future squid monsters or something um oh i guess this will be direct directly resolved next week then yeah would uh, be my guess i don't know i hope the answer is they're not being directly controlled by future squid monsters Yes, I also hope that that's the case. Um, I mean, what if the season ends with them dissolving Section 31 and being like, Hooray! We did it! Then I would think that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> no more Section 31 ever! Okay, well, two years from now, the show, Section 31. <laughs> I mean, that's why everyone forgot. Yeah, we're secret now, and we can't talk to anybody who matters ever, but we're going to go on Black Ops Space Adventures. It's time. Do you have anything more to add? Because um, I feel like we've kind of done this episode. Uh, I'm really sad, and I understand the realities of modern television, but I would have made the different choice that when they go to Talos 4, it's just the quarry from last season and not a matte painting and some yep. fake rocks. If you're gonna put I wanted them to recreate the Talos 4 set from the cage. If you're going to put the cage into your things, you should at least make the set look as similar as you can. What I would like is if they kept the, like, underneath being, like, this really fancy dark lighting thing, but the world just looked like fake rocks in a matte painting, that's really all I want. <laughs> Because they land in the quarry, you're like, oh, the quarry, they've used this quarry before. It's the same quarry. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Which is, like I, like, I understand what television is, I get it. But this is Star Trek, I want them to land on a planet that's fake rocks and a matte painting at least once. Please. Yeah, I mean, um, the Enterprise episode for their mirror universe literally just built a one-to-one replica constitution yes. ship. Um, and I need them to build a one-to-run replica of the rocks and a matte painting from the cage. Yeah, it's fine if we went to the Enterprise bridge, bridge and that was redesigned with a new aesthetic. But if they go to fucking... I think it would have to be. I think it'd be weird if they didn't. Yeah, no, I agree. So. Uh, but then they're just never going to show the Enterprise bridge is how they've avoided this. Yes. Um, which I think is the coward's choice. Eh, look, it's an expensive build for like a single shot. I guess that's true. The actual question is, do you think Pike's not the captain at the end of the season? I mean... Is it ever been? Was there ever a point in canon where there was a reason like he stepped down? Because this would mean there would have to be an interim captain of the Enterprise. I mean, the Enterprise is still being repaired <laughs> for the next six years. <laughs> Until Kirk I don't mean along. that he's like not the captain of the Enterprise ever again, but that he just had this like eighteen month jaunt on Discovery, and that covers two seasons. I mean, I think it depends on a lot of... I, I don't think this decision was made at this point in the show. I bet they leave that open-ended in some way. Yeah. Um, but I could totally see a world where Pike and Spock are still here next season. Who Who is the captain on Vulcan who is still waiting to get picked up <laughs> for his new post on the Discovery? Um, it's T'Pol. <laughs> Old-ass T'Pol. Old-ass T'Pol. Like, what the fuck are they? <laughs> God damn yeah, they did have a captain assigned to them. Yes. And then Pike's like my ship now, I guess. Yeah, and has not given it up. Yep. And definitely shouldn't give it to Saru. Uh, no. No, not anymore. Not anymore. He can shoot spikes from his neck. It hasn't done it yet, though, except for that one time. So maybe they'll never reference the head teeth again, which is a real shame if they don't, if they don't have him do that sometimes. Getting to the... Uh, realizing that the... um. 
as like the more emotional discovery that i was enjoying before had just kind of left um and now i've got kind of quarry nothing and reapers coming around to uh saru's head teeth yeah (laughs) at least it's something right (laughs) like if you're gonna be if you're gonna be stupid you should be stupid enough that it's that dumb you should be daniel's in the quarters looking at everything with archer (laughs) yes (laughs) yes you can't just give me the enterprise knew they needed a daniel (laughs) sorrow has head teeth sorrow has they need to go a little further now yep uh, they did the thing we didn't mention is that they did confirm that the person in the suit is literally human, like not another alien. It was yes. a human being in the suit. Um, because Spock did the dumbass thing Spock always does and mind melded with it. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> Every other Vulcan mind melds are very important and special. They're very dangerous. They can't be taken lightly. Spock mind melds with anything that comes at him. <laughs> oh, another thing I want to complain about, and this has happened in other episodes before, to the point where it's almost. Uh, not being referenced two things actually two things that they need to fucking back off uh read another book burnham oh yes absolutely (laughs) jesus christ burnham has one metaphor and she's gonna use it for everything she's like we're truly through the looking glass now and i'm like burnham you did that already three times the part the part where she warps into the black hole and i was like oh right an illusion around talus four and then the show makes a very dramatic statement of oh right the illusion around talus four (laughs) it's really dumb uh, cursed by knowing television second thing uh i'm gonna need a full blanket ban on anyone in star trek using the words needs of the many ever again it just ever <laughs> yeah no it's a <laughs> just lot literally ever because now they've just turned into a thing vulcans just say to each other as shorthand <laughs> which is not which you know <laughs> it's just not true <laughs> it, yep. imagine if like uh in wrath of khan you know just um the spot goes to Kirk and is like, you know, the early bird catches the worm and dies. <laughs> yes. Like, that's the level of what's going on here. Yes. Uh, and they never say the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. They just say the needs of the many. And you know what that means because you know Star Trek. And I'm like, please, please yes. stop. It is the, it can't be helped of Star Trek now. <laughs> it fucking is. Uh, yeah. Anyway, those are my two things. <laughs> yep. That's really it. I don't know. Uh, the Colbert walking around in the version of the Star Trek uniform that's just like the thirst trap open throated like uh-huh. sweater is very funny also. It is very funny. Uh because they're like, oh, he's the attractive one of the cast. Let's get him in the zip down version and zip it halfway down. Not since Hot Bashir. <laughs> you know, not since Hot Bashir. He doesn't have his sleeves rolled up, unfortunately, but you know, we'll work on it. Yeah, no, we need to get him. Get him he has so stuff. much anger to express. They they need to make sure that his costume has places to go. Yep god they they really have realized he's the hot one haven't they <laughs> yes which is fair because he is, he the, is hot the hot one. one but they play into it a lot yep. i feel like in uh, season one he was just in his doctor's outfit and they, they weren't as explicit about look at how ripped this dude is yeah no like ash tyler the only thing he's got going for him is his luxurious hair please uh follow at trek on twitter for hair watch for ash <laughs> tyler <every> <laughs> oh that is very good no very important shout out. I oh, I like the um, the one scene where he talked about uh him and Burnham last season. It was like oh, Discovery. I remember that. Yes, yes. Because Pike's like, what's going on? No one's told me that my officers are fraternizing. Uh, and yeah, he's like, I was in love with her. She, you know, was into me. Uh, and then I was a like Klingon murder spy. So it made yeah. things complicated. And then didn't tell her after I figured that out. <laughs> yeah. 
so it was it was bad for everyone and i've just got to live with the consequences and i was like all oh, right ash tyler being a responsible human at klingon you know <laughs> the actual only responsible person but, but he's show. not in the show it just was like all oh, right ash tyler like He's one of the he's one of the less actors on the show. I feel pretty comfortable saying that. He's not one of yes, the best. Yes, no, absolutely. He could not act at the same level of everyone else. But in that moment, I was like, "All oh, right, I do actually like Ash as a character. He's just been wrong this season, and he briefly appeared and then went away again as everyone started arguing about Section Thirty One. Yeah, yep. we'll see how next week goes. Only like seven weeks left now, or six weeks left. How how long left? We've got nine. Seven weeks seven left. Seven weeks left. Um. Wait, no, this is episode eight. Six weeks six left. Because it's 14, right? Yes. Yeah. And then... Then Picard's next. Yeah. Yeah, it sure is. We're not going to talk about that here. We're done. Thank you very much for listening. Everyone. I think at this point we have to wait for a trailer before we can talk about my deep reservations about Picard. <laughs> With every new piece of information, I'm like, maybe I don't want this, actually. Yeah. Yeah, we did. Right. We did read that, but we're not going to mention yes. it now. Um. <laughs> we have to leave before I start making bad jokes. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for watching. You can check out other things at normalmapping.com. If you don't support us, you can go to patreon.com slash normalmapping. You know the things. We don't really plug them because we do this every week, but maybe if you don't know about us, you go to our Discord. We talk about Star Trek there. There's two Star Trek channels, one for normal Star Trek and one for Discovery. Uh, so please enjoy those things. Uh, you can find the link to that on the website, obviously. And until next week, we will see you out there. <laughs>